0: So one of the things that I've always loved about The Orchard is the name The Orchard. Uh, in a world where a lot of church plants or replants have really cool names but don't really have any meaning behind the names, I love that The Orchard stands out because there is meaning in that name. And maybe you don't know the meaning, so let me, let me share that with you. Uh, Pastor Eddie and Miss Beth, when they founded The Orchard, were at a church planter's training weekend uh, going over what it looked like to plant a healthy church, and one of the illustrations that the facilitator used over and over again is picturing that healthy plant as a healthy tree. And he says, a healthy tree is always going to produce fruit. Well, at some point throughout that weekend, as Pastor Eddie kept hearing that illustration over and over, a thought dawned on him. And this is what the thought was. He said, if you plant a tree, you get the fruit that a tree produces. But if you plant an orchard, You could get the fruit that an orchard produces. And right there in that thought, our church found its identity. From the very beginning at the orchard, it's been all about the fruit. And I love that from the very beginning, it's always been bigger than us. That's who we are. That's the orchard. Now, this year at the orchard has been a transition year. And next year, the orchard is stepping into a brand new season. Maybe this is a good place for me to pause and introduce myself if we haven't met before. My name's Chip, and I'm one of the pastors here at the orchard. And this time last year, our church voted that I would become the next lead pastor at the orchard starting in January of uh, 2022. And so, what I want to do today and over the next few weeks is share with you, I think, the vision that God's laid on my heart for us as a church as we move forward into this new season. And so let me be clear, that that's exactly who I want to talk to today. I want to talk to our church. And so if you're here today and you've been coming for a little while but say man, I'm not sure that I'm there yet. Maybe this is your very first Sunday or maybe you're just here trying to dip your toe into the waters of faith and figure out where you're at with Jesus. Number one, let me say I am so glad that you're here. But I hope as you hear me talk to our church, the men and women students that make up the orchard, that you would see a little bit of who we are and who we want to become. I hope that you'll see our heart as we talk about this vision. So what is, what is the vision? Well, let me just start here. One of the things about The Orchard that's pretty unique is that we have been a rural church, and we have, for the most part, targeted rural communities. That's a heart that Pastor Eddie and I both share, it is this idea that we live in a rural part of the world, and we want to be a different kind of church in that rural part of the world. And so if you look at that rural part of north central Florida, really to the east of Tallahassee, to the west of the greater Jacksonville area, and from Marion County north in north, In those 14 rural counties, there's about 700,000 people that make up our family, our friends, our co-workers, our classmates that live inside of those 14 counties that really are the buckle of the Bible Belt. But here's the thing that was shocking to me. If you look at the most conservative uh, estimates, where we want to be really generous to people taking them at their word, if we take them at their word, of those 700,000 people that live around us, 500,000 are lost and are living apart from a saving relationship with Jesus. Maybe that blows your mind. Maybe you're thinking, man, Chip, I thought here in this part of the world, like 90% of the people were Christians. No, they're not. Here, where there's a church on every corner, here, where you're five minutes from a Dollar General and 30 minutes from a Walmart, here in the heart of the Bible Belt, there are still a half million people who are lost and they don't know Jesus. And at the Orchard, we feel called to impact that lostness. We want to impact the lostness that makes up those 500,000 people here in this part of the state. But here's the thing. If we truly want to impact that lostness on any kind of scale that matters, for us to impact that lostness by even 1%, it means that we have to reach 5,000 people with the gospel. That's a big number. Anywhere, that's a big number. That's a big number, especially here. And here's the thing, we can't do it by ourselves. For us to reach 5,000 people, it's going to take more new locations, it's going to take partnering with new family churches, just like we already have at The Journey in Mayo and at Lifespring in Stark. It's going to take working together with this family of churches for new church plants, for new church replants, helping existing churches find health. And more than anything, it is going to require us raising up kingdom leaders, equipping and empowering them to go back into their communities with the gospel of Christ. Christ. But make no mistake, guys, that's where we're headed at the orchard. We want to reach 5,000 people over the next five years. And see, this isn't a new vision. What this is is really doubling down on that original vision that God gave Pastor Eddie all those years ago. We want to be an orchard of churches that sees the fruit of thousands of changed lives. That's who we are. That's where we're going. But maybe you're here today and you're like, man, Chip, that sounds great. That That's awesome. I, I want to be a part of a church that does that. But the reality of it really kind of feels disconnected from you. You're not sure what you can do to be a part of that. You're not sure how you can move a needle in any significant way to impact that lostness on that scale. Well, that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to take you to one of my favorite passages of Scripture, and I want to show you something out of that passage that I believe if we really embrace it as a church, it will enable us to live differently, find spiritual fulfillment, and impact lostness like we never have before. So if you've got your Bibles, go with me this morning to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6, we're just going to read the first eight verses, and probably as we read them, it'll be familiar to you. It'll be something that you've heard before, maybe at a revival service growing up, maybe you read a book on it, maybe your favorite preacher preached a message and you heard it on a podcast. But I want to go and look this morning with you at Isaiah chapter 6. So if you've got your phone, your Bible, your tablet, go with me there. Let's read those first eight verses together. Isaiah chapter six, starting in verse one, says this. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphim were standing above him. They each had six wings. With two, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. And one called to another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. The, his glory fills the whole earth. And the foundations of the doorway shook at the sound of their voices and the temple was filled with smoke. And then I said, woe is me for I am ruined because I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips because my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of armies. And then one of the seraphim flew to me and in his hand was a glowing coal that he had taken from the altar with tongs. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your iniquity is removed and your sin is atoned for. And then I heard the voice of the Lord asking, who will I send? Who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. Well, obviously this is an incredible passage. You know why it's one of my favorites and why people go there all the time. It is a powerful image that really stirs us emotionally and spiritually as we read it. We read of Isaiah the prophet, and he's probably in the temple performing uh, sacrificial duties. And as he walks into the temple, he gets this vision. And what vision does he see? But he sees the Lord himself. And where is the Lord? It says that he is seated on a high and a lofty throne. That's important. That's significant, and I think it is even more important and significant when you understand the cultural and historical context that Isaiah was living in. See, Isaiah begins chapter 6 by saying that all of this took place in the year that King Isaiah died. That's probably not a big deal to you, but for Isaiah, it was. King Uzziah was a well-respected king who had brought a lengthy and stable rule to the nation. And when he died, it turned his country into a political battlefield where there was social and cultural upheaval and turmoil. And maybe that sounds familiar to you today. But what's important is that in the middle of all of this, Isaiah sees a vision and he sees the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne. But it's not just the Lord that he sees. He sees these six seraph- or these, six, uh, these seraphim, these angels with six wings that were around the throne. It says, with two, they covered his face. With two, they covered his feet. With two, they flew. But not, what's not important is what they looked like. What's important is what they said. And what they cried out around the throne was this, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. See, that idea of holiness, that's who God is. He's not just holy. He's holy, holy, holy. Holiness is a defining attribute of the character of God. He is a God that is holy. He is a God that is perfect. He is a God that is unstained with sin and without blemish. That's who he is. And even more than that, they say, holy, 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 the whole earth is filled with his glory. And that's an amazing picture in our minds, right? That Isaiah, hearing the angels uh, seeing this, can almost see the glory of the Lord rushing out from the throne and filling the entire earth. That word holy is not a super familiar word, but we get it. That word glory may be even more unfamiliar. What is glory when we talk about the glory of the Lord filling the whole earth? Well, number one, I think glory is the, is the physical manifestation of God's holiness. It, is, it, is, uh, it conveys a sense of God's weightiness. That when we talk about the glory of God. There's a certain weightiness to God, a certain heaviness about him. But maybe my favorite way to understand glory is that glory is the shining forth of who God is. And it's that glory, the shining forth of who God is, that goes through the throne and fills the entire earth. And this is what Isaiah sees. He sees this holy Lord seated on his throne. He sees his glory rushing to the ends of the earth. And when Isaiah sees it, he's undone. He's ruined. Look at what he says. He says, then when I saw this, I said, woe is me. I'm ruined. See, after clearly seeing who God is, Isaiah gets a clear picture of himself and who he is. I think this is so important because Christians are so often guilty about pronouncing woe on others. Woe on you, you sinner. Woe on you, you hypocrite. Woe on you, you pagan. But when Isaiah sees the holiness of God, when he sees the glory of God, he sees himself first. He says, woe is me. I love what Warren Wearsby, the author, says. Before we pronounce woe upon others, we must sincerely say, woe is me. Why is that so important? Because when you see God as he is, and it allows you to see yourself as you really are, you realize that each of us in our sinful state are lost and condemned before this holy God. And worse still in our own power and effort. There's nothing we can do about that lostness. That separation from a holy God is not just he's a little bit better than us and we've messed up more, but this is a different uh, kind. God God is high and above us, wholly different. And because of that, we are lost and cut off from him and nothing we can do can change that. This is one of the truths that we hold dearly at the orchard. It's this idea that everybody lives forever somewhere. That's what lostness means, that those who leave this life apart from Christ, still in their lostness, are going to live forever separated from God in a place of agony and darkness. That's why woe is me. But yet, this holy God doesn't leave Isaiah there in his lostness. He sends an angel, one of the seraphim, to take with tongs a glowing coal from the altar. Now, what's interesting is another way to translate that word glowing coal is a living coal from the altar. And he takes that coal and he touches Isaiah's lips. And as that coal touches his lips, the angel says that your iniquity is uh, gone. Your, Your sin is atoned for. Guys, this living coal is a picture of Jesus who doesn't leave us in our lostness, but comes to us to cleanse us and to purify us from our sin. He is that living sacrifice taken from the altar to save us in our lostness. And here's what I want you to hear, guys. Any mission, any vision we have as a church must be rooted in in this. It's got to be. Before we go out and talk about where we want to go and what we want to do and what this new season at the Orchard looks like, we've got to catch this vision. See, until we see the glory of the Lord and until we desire to see it spread throughout our homes, our workplaces, our schools, our ballparks, our communities, until we see that, we're not going to engage in the mission Until we feel, listen, until we feel the weight of that lostness that surrounds our communities, the weight of the lostness of our family, our friends, and our neighbors, until we realize that as good a person as they are, that they have no hope for eternity uh, in and of themselves, we will never point them to the hope found in the living sacrifice of Jesus for their sin. See, we've got to see that. We've got to see God in his holiness and glory. We've got to see our neighbors in their lostness. And we've got to see the hope that is found in Jesus. That's where it starts. And when we see these things, that's when the mission falls into place. See, after Isaiah sees God on his throne, after he feels the weight of lostness, after he finds the hope in Christ, it's there that he hears the call from the throne. Who will I send? Who will go for us? And immediately Isaiah recognizes that this is the call that he's been made for. He doesn't hesitate. Here I am, send me. Now I know that this may seem pretty far removed from where you are right now. I know that with kids uh, to get to practice, with groceries to be picked up, with bills to be paid, with gas skyrocketing through the roof, this really might not be on your radar right now, but I want you to lean in and hear me really quickly. Hear me when I say this, embrace your calling. Embrace your calling. Look, you're, you're not Isaiah, I'm not saying that you ever will be, and probably you shouldn't be. But what I am saying is that like Isaiah, I'm 100% certain that God has a calling on your life. For all of us who know Jesus as Savior, there's a general calling on our life. If you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, there is a calling on your life that is at least loving God and loving others. That calling includes worshiping him. That calling includes growing deeper in your faith. That calling includes sharing and serving others. But I want to go deeper than that. You see, I believe that there's a specific calling on your life. I believe that God has uniquely designed you with gifts and abilities, with talents and opportunities, that he has placed you where you are so that in a specific and unique way, God is going to call you to join him in his mission here on earth. That's the calling I want you to find. That's the calling that I want you to embrace. Embrace your calling. See, I get it. That sounds good. Chip, I'd love that, but I don't see that. How can I do that? Let me lay out a couple steps for you I think may be helpful. Number one, I think the first thing you need to do, and we've already said this before, before you can embrace a calling like Isaiah, you've got to have an encounter like Isaiah. You need to start by spending some time seeing and savoring the Lord. Maybe the reason that you haven't embraced your calling is because you haven't done this yet. You haven't caught that vision that Isaiah had of seeing and savoring the Lord. Let me read you this quote from John Piper. John Piper famously said that worship is the goal and the fuel of missions. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Mission is our way of saying the joy of knowing Christ is not a private or a tribal or national or ethnic privilege, it's for all. And that's why we go, Because we have tasted the joy of worshiping Jesus and we want all the families of the earth included. So when you truly see and savor Jesus, that in and of itself is the fuel to go and help others do the same. But it's not just that. I think you also need to start by spending time feeling the weight of lostness and the people trapped in it. Lean in. When is the last time that God broke your heart over the lostness of your neighbor? We really do believe that people live forever somewhere and those who die in their lostness spend an eternity uh, apart from Christ. When is the last time that you felt the weight of that? Because until we do, we're not going to embrace that call. I love what Charles Spurgeon, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, famous preacher, I named my oldest son after him. This is what he says. He says that winners of souls will be weepers of souls. If we truly wanna reach 5,000 people over the next five years, it's got to start by feeling the weight of that lostness. Start by seeing and savoring the Lord. Start by feeling the weight of the lostness. Spend some time catching that vision that Isaiah saw. And then next, you need to start praying about how God has uniquely made you to join him in this mission. So maybe there's some questions you need to ask yourself. What are your talents? See, before you were saved, you were given natural talents as gifts from the Lord. What are those? How can you use those in mission? After you were saved, if you know Jesus as your savior, you've not just been given talents, you've been given spiritual giftings. What are those? How could God use that in his mission? How about this? What opportunities are in front of you right now? Like what open doors has God placed in front of you at your job, at your school, in your home? Another one, kind of the flip side of that, where has God blessed you in the past? Where have you served? Where have you worked that you've seen God bear much fruit through your efforts? And maybe most importantly, how about this? What are you burdened over? Like What do you feel a burden about that you can use to join God in that mission to to go after that burden and let me be clear, that may seem like a weird question because you're thinking, well, Chip, what does that mean? Should I catch a burden for the media ministry? Should I catch a burden to change diapers in the nursery? No, listen, what I'm saying is that your calling is so much bigger than finding a place to sign up and serve on Sunday morning. Yes, that is important. Yes, that's needful. I don't want to downplay the significance of serving here at your church on Sunday at all. But when I tell you this, I want you to hear is that the call God has on your life is so much bigger than that. How God wants to use you is so much bigger than that. This is bigger than just serving on Sunday morning. So let me just take a minute and camp here because listen, this is what you're missing. I think if we were being honest with ourselves, there's a lot of us, maybe even most of us who are sitting here today, who if you're being completely honest, are less than fully satisfied with your spiritual journey you feel like there's something missing about it. And this feeling, maybe it has led you to bounce from church to church, trying to find that preacher, find that band, whatever. Maybe this feeling that something's missing has led you to different Bible studies, different doctrines, hopping on the latest trend, the latest hip place in town. Or maybe this feeling that something's missing is making you question why you even come to church to begin with. But so here's what I want you to hear. Listen, God did not create you just to go deeper into these new doctrines and studies. God did not bring you into his church just so that you could make friends to hang out with on Friday nights. And Jesus didn't save your soul so that every week you could take one hour and feel recharged because of a great experience. Jesus has called you personally, specifically, and uniquely to join him in his mission of redeeming and reconciling a lost world into himself. That's what you're missing until you join him in this calling you will never be fully satisfied until you join him by embracing your calling there is not a small group experience that's going to meet that need in your heart until you do this you're going to know something's missing do you remember pastor Eddie's training about the tree and the fruit listen to me you are not just the fruit Guys, you are the orchard. You are what God is going to use to produce the fruit in these communities, in these counties, in these neighborhoods, in your home. Embrace your calling. God's gonna use you. And then maybe the last thing that you can do is to reach out and let us help you. I wanna be clear, guys. I'm not calling you to this. The orchard is not calling you to this. Jesus is calling you to this. Jesus has a call on your life. And what we wanna do is we want to affirm that call in you. We wanna come alongside of you to help you embrace it. And as you embrace it, to empower and equip you and ultimately release you back into your communities to bear that harvest of fruit and to impact lostness there. I want you to catch a vision of this. Catch a vision of this. What would it look like if that's exactly what happened here at the Orchard? What would it look like if here at the Orchard, in Lake City, in Live Oak, in Ocala, what would it look like if at our partner family churches, the Journey over in Mayo, Life Spring over in Stark, what if it looked like at the dozen other churches that we haven't even partnered with yet, what would it look like if in all of those places, in all of those seats, that God would raise up an army of men and women who were uniquely and specifically called to impact lostness in their area What would it look like if we got serious about equipping them and empowering them and releasing them back into the community? What would it look like if we sent out an army of missionaries with a searing desire in their hearts to impact lostness? Man, if we did that, 5,000 people would be nothing. We wouldn't stop at 1%. And can I tell you, just personally, that's not why I came to the orchard but that's why I stayed. Well, what do you mean by that, Chip? A lot of you know the story of Pastor Eddie and how he founded the orchard. It was he and Miss Beth, and they started the church from scratch. Well, I wasn't here when that happened. I came later. I came afterwards. See, I came to the orchard a couple of months after my mom died of cancer at 50 years old. Pastor Eddie had just had massive heart surgery and was recovering, and we had just brought our youngest son into the world, and I knew that Leanne and I needed some time to go somewhere where I wasn't the lead pastor that we could just serve and heal. I wanted to serve a godly man, a spiritual father, Pastor Eddie, my mentor. I wanted to serve him and care for him to give him time to get back on his feet, but we never planned to stay. We were going to come, we were going to serve, we were going to heal, and we were going to go. But then as we were here, when I saw not just the churches, but the people and the potential that was here to truly impact lostness on a significant scale in these communities, I decided to stay. I believe in the orchard and I'm giving my life to it because I believe that God can use us to impact lostness right here, right now. That's big to me. But I need you to hear this, okay? We can't fulfill our mission as a church until you embrace your calling. It's all got to start with you. This isn't going to happen from the office. This isn't just going to come out of a cloud. It's got to start with you. And what my fear is, is that you're going to hear this, and it's going to be like group tech syndrome, like, you know that is, right? Like, if I send out an uh, individual text to the parents of the kids that I coach on my baseball team, they'll all rep- reply back really quickly. But if I throw out a group message to the parents uh, in, in, of the kids of my team, I'm not gonna hear from anybody. I'm gonna get crickets. Why? Because when the message is for everybody, nobody responds. So lean in this morning. This message is for you. We can't do what God's called us to do as a church until you embrace the calling that God has on your life. So I want you to see that vision. I want you to feel the weight of that lostness. I want you to hear that calling and embrace it. And here's what I know. If you can go from here today and do nothing differently, then you need to ask yourself, have I really seen the Lord Do I really feel the weight of that lostness? Because I'm 100% sure that when you see it and when you feel it, there's no choice left. All you can help but say is here I am, Lord send me. Let me pray for you. God, I just pray that you would help us catch this vision that Isaiah saw a vision of your holiness, a vision of your glory. God, I pray that you would help us feel the weight of the lostness around us. God, I pray for the men, women, and students who are listening this morning that you would just give them a clear and definite sense of the call that you've placed on their life to join you in this mission of impacting lostness right here where they are. And God, I just pray as simply as I can that you would let us at the orchard, be a part of your plan to spread your glory to this part of the world. God, use us to impact lostness, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.